Hi, neighbor. Welcome to our neighborhood. It is so great to see each and every one of you here today. It feels like it's been forever since we've been able to look each other in the eyeballs, but it is such a blessing to have you here with us today. And I want to tell everybody that's on line watching us right now that if you want to come and be a part of uh, our live services again, all you need to do is go to our website at eastsidecitychurch.ca, register so that we can have a spot reserved for you because we still have to practice social distancing and all of that stuff, but it is awesome to have people here with us. Now, for those who are online, we want you to know that you're just as important to us as those who are here in the building because each one of you, both here and in person and online, adds so much to our vibrant community. Well, I want to say this as I begin. Happy Father's Day out there to all of the dads. It is awesome to be here with you and to celebrate this special day with you. I hope that your day is filled with fun and laughter and maybe something that you like to eat because that's how you win a dad's heart 90% of the time is with good food. Well, today I'm a bit sad and kind of do a little, ah, uh, because I am concluding the series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And for those of you who grew up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you're probably aware that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was an iconic children's show that touched on so many important topics. Uh, he would talk about things like friendship, forgiveness, acceptance of self and others, and the value of every person, regardless of their backgrounds, their beliefs, whatever they were, Mr. Rogers valued them. He would use puppets and and crafts and special visitors to share the positive life principles with all who watch. But what made him so beloved was his impeccable character and the love that he had for people. I mean, I remember even as a kid watching the show, you felt like Mr. Rogers was your friend. Well, he encouraged everyone to be the best that they could be, and he valued family. Today, I want to talk more about family, and especially our family as in our, with our Heavenly Father. You see, I believe this, that strong family is at the center of every great society and community, that what makes communities great is their sense of family. And whether it's your biological family, whether it is your cohort family, whether it is your church family, who would here would say family is important? Why? Because family provides us with a sense of belonging. It's where we, we gain identity. It's where we understand a little bit more about who we are and where we came from. And, and, I, and one of the statements that we've been using to describe our church and has been our slogan over the past few years is we've started with becoming church together. Well, who here knows last year, we actually modify that to becoming family together. Why? Because of that sense of belonging that we want to see people come together and realize that it's through community that we discover more about who we are. See, Fred Rogers was not only a television icon for children, but he was a husband and a father. And I believe this. Now more than ever, we need fathers to be fathers. You see, I believe that fathers have some unique characteristics. It's not that moms aren't important because moms are incredibly important. We, we, we need you. We need both of these uh, people working together. But fathers present some unique things. They're, in my opinion, they're to be immovable anchors and 
troubling waters, that dads are not easily moved, that they're like lighthouses that shine light into dark places. And if your dad was like my dad or you've been around people that have been like fathers to me, uh, sometimes trying to argue with them didn't go very far. They just, they didn't change or move a lot. That they're called to be strong and counted. You see, I believe this, that fathers release blessing, the blessing of strength and security, that they just make us feel safe. And not only do we receive this through our biological fathers, but there are but we can receive it through coaches and teachers and father figures and other spiritual mentors. Paul made this statement in 1 Corinthians 4:15. He said, "You have many teachers, but not many fathers." And, and we realize that today that that we are living in a society that has tried to break down the role of men and fathers. You see, I say this that it's as a father, it's easy to feel lost in these challenging times. You know, we're not always sure what to do or how to do it. And sometimes I know even in my own life, I can feel powerless to change things or, or make, a, make a difference where I'm almost frozen. And you can feel sometimes like society maybe even is against you or that as a man, you're the problem. But can I say this today? God created us to be who he's called us to be. And now more than ever, each one of you is needed. You see, we can become hesitant or afraid that we will maybe make a mistake. And I still remember when my daughter was born many years ago. It was exciting and daunting at the same time. Do you know what I'm talking about, dads? Your first child, it's like, wow, you can't wait to meet them and see them. And all of a sudden, here it is. And you're kind of like, whoa, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. You know, I remember looking at my little girl, and she was just so small and perfect and just amazing. And I, and I just remember going, wow. But she was also so dependent and vulnerable. And even though I was sure I could not love her more, I was not sure I was prepared for this new responsibility. You see, being a father is both rewarding and challenging. And I think it's one of the most awesome things that we get to experience in the world for those of us guys who get to do it. You see, for the most part, Fred, Fred Rogers' family, who that's who Mr. Rogers' name was, Fred Rogers' family, was something that he tried to keep private. He actually had two sons named John and James, who he loved dearly. But like most families, they faced their own set of challenges. Each handled the fame of their father differently, because I'm sure it would have been tough being the, the son or the prodigy of, a, of a, a children's icon. In fact, his son James, who is also known as Jamie, struggled with the shadow of living in the, uh, or struggled with living in the shadow of his famous dad. Here's what he said about his dad. It was tough, his son said, having a second Christ around. You see, when Jamie went to college, he struggled for a season with wanting to be free from the pressure of living in the shadow of what he said was his morally perfect dad who had a high standards and high beliefs about things. And he, he, he expected that from his, his own sons. But he said this about this. It's been painful and rough on Jamie. But if we don't allow him to go off and have his time for himself, he will never come back to the nest. And eventually, because of Fred Rogers' big heart and unconditional love, Jamie returned and was 
accepted in the family and was part of a family and discovered who he really was. You see, some of us have been blessed by having great men in our lives, those who have been great fathers, mentors, and other role models. However, for many, as Michael was sharing today in, the, in his prayer time, we have experienced the absence of those positive role models and examples of unconditional love and acceptance. We, we've felt we face that. And so the question is, how do we overcome the, the frozenness or the sense of feeling unprepared for leading our own lives, much less being the example for the lives of others? Where do we turn to see, to, to, to find these examples when they seem so far away or maybe out of reach? Well, I have good news here today. I have good news to say that we turn to the source, the originator and the creator. We go to the one who, who, even though he was the king of kings and the lord of lords, desired for us to relate to him, not as a master, not as, our, as, our, as, as the king of the universe, but as what? As father. You see, Jesus said this about, about God. He said, when you, you go to pray, say, our father who lives in heaven, holy is your name. You see, God didn't want us to reference him as this mighty being that was just here to control us and, and lead us and to challenge us, but he wants us to look at him in a relational sort of way. He wants to be our father. And God is the ultimate father, the example of the heart required to be a genuine father. You see, today my message that I want to share is called Experiencing the Father's Love. You see, I believe this, for each one of us to grow into who we were created to be, we need to experience the Father's love. In order to love others, we need to know ourselves how much we're loved. And I don't know about you, but in this crazy season, I've needed the love of God in my life now more than ever. I've needed to feel and embrace him each and every single day. So I want to pray before I dig into the word of God. Father, I pray for every single person that is here that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive, Father, what you want to share with us today. May we know your love in a more real and powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus shares about the unconditional love of God through some parables. You know, parables were stories that Jesus used to teach truths. And so in Luke chapter 15, there are actually three parables that are back to back to each other. There's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, which many of us know better as the prodigal son. And before, though, he begins to share, he talks about who his audience is, who he's talking to in this moment. And there are some very important things that he wants us to understand and know about the people to understand the unconditional love of God. And here's what it says in Luke 15, starting in verse 1. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I find it interesting here that Jesus 
makes special emphasis to let us know that in his audience were tax collectors and notorious sinners. I find this amazing that the only job he talked about were tax collectors. He didn't say plumbers. He didn't say lawyers. He didn't say teachers. He said, but as he went to teach in his audience were tax collectors and notorious sinners. How would you like it if your job was brought up that you were part of a profession that was equated with being like notorious sinners? You see, the word notorious means famously known for some bad deed. That these guys were looked down upon. Why? Because they were typically crooks. They were those who would collect taxes from the people. And the way that they earned their money is by charging people more money than they were supposed to tax them. And so they would oppress people and they would, they would put heavy demands on people. And, and, and because they had the power and the authority of the government, it was unstoppable. They literally could charge people what they want. And typically in that society, not only did they have the government that didn't care what they did as long as they got their part, there were probably three or four or five, maybe even six other people who also got a part of the cut. And so the demands were heavy. They were extreme. They were, they, were, they, were, they were heavy on the people. And because of that, Jesus addressed to them and said, look, in, my, in this audience, there are tax collectors and other notorious people. You see, Jesus allowed them as well as other people to be a part of his gatherings, which drew the ire of the Pharisees and other religious leaders, which you see in the Bible all the time. The Pharisees were, were always dogging on Jesus about who he was associating with, who he was doing, because real Jews did not hang out with lowlifes, in their opinion, and flagrant sinners. But Jesus saw things differently, and he always went to wherever there was the greatest need. People who were lost, people who made mistakes, people who are not living the way they should, but people who are valuable nonetheless. And who here today is thankful that God goes to people who have made mistakes, people who haven't always got it right, people who haven't always lived the way that they should? Who here is thankful that Jesus came to meet you and I, who are probably in that category more times than we care to remember? You see, we need more people like that on the earth that will go to wherever the greatest need is. And to show how much God loved people, Jesus shared these three different parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. You see, the lost sheep represents this, because I'm going to talk about the prodigal son here today in detail. But the lost sheep represents those who do not know that, they, that they've become lost, or how they got lost, and don't know how to return home. I don't know if you've ever experienced in your life where you, you ended up somewhere, but you didn't know how you got there. You didn't know what, what happened. And, and maybe that can be a, a, a real thing that maybe you were on a trip, you were driving in a car, you ended up in the opposite place that you wanted to go. Or maybe it has been at a place in your life that you ended up kind of in a place, a darker place, or a, a place where you felt distant from God, and you didn't realize how you got there. Maybe it was because of your busyness or, or you didn't realize that your focus got on the wrong thing. And, 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 and for like a sheep, it was like you're not quite sure how to get back to where you were. We've probably all experienced that at some place in our life. 
And then there's the parable of the lost coin, which the lost coin represents those who are lost but don't realize they're lost. <laughs> you see, a coin is an inanimate object. It doesn't have thoughts or feelings, but it has value. And there are many people that we come into contact every day, maybe even somebody that might be here today that's lost, that you're away from God. You don't know who Jesus is, but you don't realize that you're missing out on this relationship. You see, we see that in the world all around us. But then there's the lost son or the prodigal son who represents those who are lost because of their own choices and don't feel like they deserve to be found. Sometimes we make poor decisions. But as we're going to discover, it doesn't change the fact that God loves us and values us. Let's turn to Luke 15, verse 11. And so Jesus shares this to illustrate the point further. Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want to share, I want my share of your estate before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. About this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one, listen to this, but no one gave him anything. Now from this story, we know that there are some unusual things about this. Things that are thought-provoking, that in life it's unusual for somebody to receive an inheritance while the benefactors are still alive. That you typically do not receive something while the person who has is going to give you something the, the after death before they die. It just doesn't typically work like that. But here's what the son did. He asked for his inheritance ahead of time, which was not a normal or even, in my opinion, a rational request. But the youngest son demanded those resources and the freedom to do what he wanted to do. And now the Bible does not say whether he was rebellious or or his heart was wrong, but I think it kind of, we, we figure that out later. But what the Bible does tell us, that life did not go well for the young man. That when he got all of his wealth, he ended up making very, very poor decisions that ended up to the place where he was left empty and with nothing. You know, one of the things I learned about God the longer that I've served him is do you know that sometimes God will allow us to have things that we want, even if it isn't beneficial to us. That if we push for our way, we push for our will, that sometimes God will say, okay, I, this probably isn't going to be the best, but I'll let you have it anyways. Like a, 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 a bad relationship or an unhealthy relationship or, or, or maybe a bad business deal where you know in your heart it's probably not the best thing and you, you push through, but because you push through it, it goes through anyways. Why? Because God loves us. He gives us the ability to make choices. He gives us the ability to make choices. I remember when my son was 12 years old, he had this idea in his mind that he no longer needed a bedtime, that he should be able to stay up as long as he wanted. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation with your kids uh, as they become teenagers. That's always the negotiation, isn't it, from 
the time they're young, you know, it's, I just, can I stay up a little bit longer? Well, my son didn't even want to negotiate anymore. He's like, I just want complete freedom and autonomy to go to bed whenever I want. And so I remember it was a Friday night, and we, he had asked us for weeks, and we finally said, all right, son, tonight you can stay up as late as you want. But know this, tomorrow at 8 a.m., I will be awakening you because we have things that we need to do. So you do whatever you need to do. You can do whatever it is that you want to do. But at 8 o'clock, I'll be coming for you. So sure enough, he stayed up all night long. He stayed up till 4 or 5 in the morning. And, and as soon as the, as you know, as the sun was rising, I was in his room to awaken him while he was sound asleep. And in that moment, as I began to stir him and I actually forced him to get out of bed, he regretted the decisions that he had made the night before. He realized that those were not profitable. You see, the, the son in this story did made decisions that led him to a place where he had spent everything. And now he was in need and his life was empty and hungry. And what is interesting about this story is when you understand Jewish culture that he ended up actually being in the farthest place he could be from his father in a pig pen feeding pigs and becoming so hungry that he was even willing to eat their food. You see, for the audience that Jesus was talking about, the story would have helped him understand just how tragic this was because, because pigs were considered disgusting and the filthiest animals that you could ever be around as a Jewish person, it, would, it was the, the epitome of being unclean and separated from your faith and your religion. And not only was he around them, he was living with them. He smelled like them. He was even willing to eat their food. His life was in a very dark and low place. And here's my question today. How far away from God is too far? How far away can we go from God where all of a sudden it seems like it's too far? You see, it's easy to judge people in situations sometimes as impossible, isn't it? We, we, we see it, we look and we go, man, they're just, it's too far, they're too lost, or that's too difficult. But let's listen to the rest of the story in verse 17. It says, when he finally came to his senses, I love that, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father, and while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father called to the servant, said, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put, a, uh, and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. 
One of the things that I've realized in life is there's nothing like coming home after being away for a long time, is there? I mean, if you've been away at college, I, I know I did that for semesters and one time even for a whole year, or, or even when you go on vacation, as much as fun and wonderful as it is to go on vacation, eventually you get to that place where you go, you know what, I just want to be home. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like my bed. I like sleeping in my own bed. My, that's my bed. I enjoy home-cooked meals, but especially I like the part where I get to be with my family. You start to miss your family. And the Bible says in this story that he eventually he came to his senses, that he remembered how good home was. He remembered that even as the hired servants were treated better than he was experiencing, that there was food to eat, a place to live, people to connect with, even for the hired servants and slaves. So he made the decision to throw himself at the mercy of his father and return home as a servant. I want to give you, you know, as we talk today about experiencing God's love, about understanding what it's like to experience the love of the Father unconditionally. I want to give you a few points that, first of all, from this story, God celebrates even our small steps. The Bible says that while he was off in the distance, his father saw him coming and he ran to him. You see, I want you to know today that God sees you wherever you are. God's eyes are constantly upon you. Now, that can be kind of scary and creepy if you get too weird about it. But the, the thought here is that God is longing to be with you. He's looking towards you. And, and, and the best way I can describe this is like when my kids and I go to the airport and we're waiting to pick up grandpa and grandma. You know what it's like if you've ever been there to pick up a, a relative, a parent, a, a, a one of your children. You know, my kids, are, they're standing there, and, and, I, and, and it's like they're, they're looking. They're looking through the crowd. They're looking all around to see if they can find grandpa and grandma. They're looking around people and over people. And we, you know, at the Calgary airport, especially if they're coming in from uh, an international flight, you can look on the screen. It's like, look, you can see them on the screen. And so once they see them, there's this excitement that builds it. Look, there they are. There's grandpa and grandma. But that isn't quite what really completes what's going on. Because what really they're looking for is that moment when grandpa and grandma see them. You see, they're looking, they're noticing, and all of a sudden, there's that moment where all of a sudden there's a grandpa and grandma go, hey, and what ends up happening? They run towards each other. Well, my parents run as much as they can run, but the kids do the running. But that's the picture of God with us, that he's looking, he's waiting, he's longing. It's like the mom that's waiting at home for her kids to return and there's that excitement and, and it's just he's waiting and the moment that 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 gaze that look is acknowledged he he comes to us i think that's how the father is with us that he 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 loves us he, he's just he's so excited to see us and he sees us through the crowd. He sees you through the crowd of humanity. He sees what's going on in your life. And he's just waiting for you to acknowledge him. 
And in that moment, he moves towards us. He runs towards us. You see, in James chapter 4, verse 8, James says this about God. He says, draw near to me, and I will do what? I will draw near to you. The prodigal son had to, to make a move. You see, for love to be love, it has to be a choice. It has to be our choice to want to come to him. You see, God already made the first move in giving Jesus to die on the cross for us. However, as we take a step towards him, he runs to us and embraces us. Secondly, here's how much God loves us. God is not afraid of your messy. Now, we've all, at one point in our lives, I believe, been or had the pleasure of being around a child that has done a doo-doo in their pants. You know, the poopy pants kid. You're with the family, and it's like everybody sees the baby, the baby's cute, they want to hold the baby, until all of a sudden people notice, uh-oh, the baby has done a little business in his pants. And so then the baby gets passed around to the group like a hot potato. Like They're like, oh, he's cute, and they're like, ooh. And they keep passing him around because nobody wants to deal with the stinky. And if you're a parent... You, 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 if you're both there together, you, the, you each try to pretend that you don't know what's going on. You know, because the rule in, in, in like our marriage was uh, once you discovered there was a poopy, then you were the one that had to change it. And so everybody kind of ignores it, hoping that the other person will be the one to discover it so that they have to deal with the situation. Here's the difference with God. God welcomes our messy our imperfections, our mistakes, even our stinkiness. The Bible says this, that while the, his prodigal son was far away, that he ran to him, he embraced him, he kissed him. We have to remember that he probably had spent weeks, even months, in a pig pen, feeding pigs. He smelled like pigs. He was filthy, he was dirty. But what does it say the father did? He ran to him. He embraced him. He kissed him. He put his arms around him, even though he had yet to be cleaned up. Dieter Uchtdorf makes this statement. Though we're incomplete, God loves us completely. Though we are imperfect, he loves us perfectly. Though we may feel lost and without a compass, God loves us, God's love encompasses us completely. He loves every one of us, even those who are flawed, re rejected, awkward, sorrowful, and broken. You see, God receives us the way that we are. But thankfully, he doesn't leave us that way. You see, what did the father do? After he embraced him, he kissed him, he said to the servants, bring him the finest robe. Get a ring for his finger. Get sandals for his feet. Kill the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate. Why? Because his son had come home. You see, I believe this, that God loves each and every one of us the way that we are. He created us uniquely. He created us as individuals. He celebrates the unchangeable you. He embraces you, all of you, even with your flaws and your imperfections. However, he does not leave you 
where you are. He doesn't allow you to stay where you are. Or he woos us to grow, to change our behavior, to become more like Jesus. He picks us up when we stumble. He loves us through the ups and downs of life. Who's thankful that that's the heavenly father that you have? Here's my third point. God doesn't want slaves, but sons and daughters. I go back to my earlier talk, part of my talk, where I said that God longs for us to approach him as father. You see, as our creator, as the creator of the whole universe, it would be appropriate if God decided that we were to approach him as king or master or mighty, you know, mighty warrior, whatever it is that he would want us to approach him as. But that's not what he demands from us. Though he is our king and our master, he desires for us to relate to him as father. He longs for genuine relationship with each and every one of us. You see, he wants us to approach him like my kids approach me. I remember when they were little and they would run to me. They would be so excited to see me. They, they, they wanted to be with me. Now my kids, for the most part, still do that. They're 19 and 16. It's not quite the same. But there's nothing greater than when your kids are like, Daddy, I just want to be with you. Because of relationship, God wants us to be like that with him. And because he loves us, he also desires to bless us and pour out his favor on us. To not only give us his blessing, but to share his authority. You see, slaves and servants don't receive an inheritance, but sons and daughters do. And he doesn't want our servitude as much as he wants our heart. God loves you. God is excited for you. He wants you to be known as his son and his daughter. And lastly, I want to say this, that God celebrates you. Fred Rogers said this, I don't believe that children can develop in a healthy way unless they feel they have value apart from anything they own or any skill that they learn. They need to feel that they enhance the life of someone else, that they are needed. And who better than parents can let them know that? You see, God wants you to know how much he values you. That he places great value on you. He believes in you. Every time you take a step forward, he cheers you on. He celebrates the moment. He's like those parents, and, and some of you are probably even here today, that post everything that your child does on Facebook. He saves and cherishes every craft, every illegible drawing, like it's the most amazing masterpiece in the world. No, I get it. Kids are the best. But God is even crazier about you and your growth than the craziest parent on the planet could ever be, is what I'm trying to say. He's the great cheerleader. And I hear God saying to each and every one of you today, wherever you're at in life, whatever you are moving towards, that you can do it. You've got this. But he calls us to not just keep this to ourselves, but to pass it on to others, our children, our friends, our family, to those who don't know him because everyone has needs. They need someone to believe in them. They need someone to esteem them. They need someone to lead them. You see, I pray today for every one of us here today that we would experience 
a greater understanding of how much God loves us. That God loves you. That God is crazy about you. That he believes in you. And he doesn't get tripped up because of our messiness. But he wants us to give him our messy. He wants us to return to him because what he wants to give you in exchange, what he wants to give you for those places where you feel like you're not measuring up, what he wants to give you is to take those things that feel like they're unworthy and he wants to put a robe on your body. He wants to put a ring on your finger. He wants to put sandals on your feet. Why? Because he loves you. He celebrates you. And I pray today for everybody that can hear my voice, that we would be consumed by his love. I pray that we would embrace sonship and daughterhood, that we are sons of the most high God. I pray for every man, every boy that can hear my voice, that God has called you to, not a place of slavery, not a a place of bondage but a place of freedom as a son that he's calling you as a man to be able to be everything that God designed you to be that you were created for such a time as this to the ladies the young ladies that are here today he wants you to relate to him as his daughter that he loves you that he's called you that you're powerful that you are able to speak to things and see situations change and circumstances change, that he values you, your uniqueness, your beauty, the wonder of who you are, that he's called you to great things for such a time as this. Father, I pray for every person here today. Lord, that we would see you. Lord, even in a deeper way, we would see that how much you love us in a deeper way. I pray, Father God, that you would just touch every heart here in a deeper way, Father God, with your love. Lord, that we would walk how you've called us to walk. Lord, I pray that you'd bless everybody with your goodness and your favor, your blessings and your peace today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Let's thank God for who he is today. Let's thank him that he's great and awesome. Before we go, I want to ask one more question that maybe there's some who are here, some who are listening today that feel your messy is too much, that realize you don't have a relationship with God. I say this, that God sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die on a cross so that you not only could have forgiveness, not only that you could have eternal life, but that you could walk in relationship with him. And so if you're here today and you have a desire or you're listening to me today and you have this a desire to say, you know what, I need to make Jesus the center of my life. Maybe you've been a prodigal. Maybe you, you've been away for a while and you just hear God calling you back and you're like, I want to receive that today. Would you pray this prayer with me today? We believe here we pray out, out loud and never alone. Jesus, I confess that I've sinned. I ask you to forgive me, to free me. Help me to become like you. I thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. And I receive your free gift of eternal life. 
Let's thank God today for everybody who prayed that prayer today. This was a great moment in their life, a great moment for them. And if you prayed that prayer, whether you're here online, I want to ask you to do a couple things. First, I want to ask that you would tell somebody, let somebody know. Say, hey, I, made, I prayed that prayer today. Would, would you pray with me? Would you encourage me? If you're online, you can reach out in the chat room and just say, hey, I made that prayer. Or if you're a little bit nervous, whether you're here or online, you can always email us at info at eastsidecitychurch.ca. We want to help you grow because what you may not realize is that you're now part of even a bigger family. You're part of the family of God, and it is an awesome and wonderful thing. Well, I want to thank every one of you for being here today. I want to thank everybody for tuning in, and I want to encourage you to leave and go with the grace and love of your Heavenly Father. Know that He loves you and that He believes in you. Have a great, great day. 